0: Welcome to the 64th episode of 10 Questions and our guest this week is the comedian, actor, voiceover artist and radio host Dave Thornton. Dave grew up in Geelong, took his first steps into stand-up comedy in his early 20s and his gift for the gab was soon recognised by Nova and then Fox FM where he hosted various shows including the top rating Fifi, Dave and Fev. Personally, I was always grateful to be able to cut to yet another hilarious piece of Dave Thornton wisdom on the Agony series. These days, he's bringing up two girls and doing some of the best stand-up of his life. And it was under these conditions that I asked Dave when he was most happy. Matt, it was, it was a strange set of circumstances. I'd just been in Edinburgh, because uh, I did Edinburgh for two years
1: straight, the Edinburgh Fringe Festival, and that was a year I tanked in the first year. I think I lived like a backpacker and wasn't really paying attention. The gigs were kind of inconsequential to how I was living the other twenty-three hours of the day. And then I came back and thought, I've really got to give this a go. And luckily, the show was well received over there. That show, and I actually got some good reviews because I'm, mate. You, you and I have spoken about this about being when you're a voiceover when you do voiceovers. I was not I was going to call myself a voiceover artist, but I think that's a stretch. But um, you know when you do voiceovers and they. You, you must get picked for the everyman. Are you the everyman guy?
0: Yeah, 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 always. Oh, mate, I, the word everyman has been bandied around too much in my life.
1: Yeah, I know. And you're not sure if it's a strength or a weakness. You're not sure where it comes from. Is that an insult? Mm-hmm. But um, so I get a bit of that in Australia. I'm using my reviews, are like, oh, he's an everyman. It's like talking to your mate. And I'm like, yeah, okay, fair enough. But then the further I get away from Australia, I think the more of an exotic animal I become. And yeah. so you're in Edinburgh and they actually go, oh, this is quite interesting. Like, what's this guy talking about? <laughs> and, and so probably not on talent just the amount of kilometers I'd clocked up on a flight the, so I kind of I got good reviews uh, which was really nice because uh, it's a slug fest getting through edinburgh and oh, then yeah. and then on the back end of that this this you could do these gigs in south africa and you were turn, I was turning up I was on the lineup with american comedians and actually a local comedian called trevor noah i don't know if you've heard of him yeah, have never heard of him yeah, mate, that was quite bizarre seeing a person who – he was really famous then in South Africa but not outside of the shores and watching a famous person who you had no point of reference, just get mm. on stage and people are going nuts and you're like, yeah, who is yeah. this guy? And, mate, it was just doing these gigs in these massive theatres in like a – it was a casino theatre and it was 3,000 people a night and you're just getting up and doing stand-up and they were treating you really well and the, the locals were so happy you turned up. Like, thanks so much for coming you know, because obviously we all know South Africa's history and they were just like, yeah. oh, we're open now and you've decided to come. Thank you. And it was all a bit new and fresh. Stand-up at that time really wasn't seen by a lot of them. And they were still strangely still opening up to the world, even though it was apartheid finished mid-90s or whatever it was. And they just loved you being there and they treated yeah. you so well, despite the fact, I mean, I'm still nobody, but it was maybe of the time it just stand-up seemed to have just hit like relatively, it must have been around for a few years, but whether that's seven years or something like that, mm. and it just was this thing where people were electric about it. Like, what is yeah. this? The guy's just talking, and it was it was really, really nice to see. Maybe <laughs> maybe maybe my fragile ego was like, this is how we
0: should be received. That's <laughs> <laughs> course, man. It's like it's like when you go business class or first classes. Like you know, it's like this is how I should be treated. <laughs> Dave and I circled back to the everyman tag, commiserated with each other for being laden with it, and then try to build it up into something that was actually worthwhile. It really can go either way, I think. The everyman thing,
1: because I've had people, even comedians, get yeah. But it's because you're, you know, an everyman, so they get you, and then, oh, wow. and it's like, so that's that's what I'm bringing to the stage. <laughs> just people go, I get him straight away, and yeah. I'm like, there is some work put into it. Some
0: well, just it's basically it's essentially because you're, you know. It means that you're writing good jokes because they're translating to a greater number of people.
1: <laughs> That's nice of you to say. I mean, it it's funny that accessible in the art sphere, and I mean stand-up comedians tenuous to say we're in the arts, but then you know, people will say, Oh, it's accessible. And I know people who, who you know, are learned about music or movies or something, they'll always use accessible as an insult. Yeah, it's accessible. Yeah. But you know, like I look at a Carl Barron or a Jamal or something like that, I'm like, there is a genius in that. Like they've yeah. found something that isn't hack and it isn't, you know, it's 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 not easy to grasp, it's not easy to find or whatever. But they found that thing, and it's just everyone in the room's laughing. You're like, that is that there is a genius to that.
0: Yeah, it is. Yeah, hundred percent, mate. Um, question two is, who would you like to apologise to, and why?
1: How long does this podcast go for, Zwari? <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> as long as you want, Thorne. <laughs> <laughs> all right. the time.
1: All right, here we go. 1981. <laughs> um I I don't know if you have this, but I found this a lot with people when you're writing, or writers. Uh, again, it's a tenuous link to put myself in that category, but I will. I I think we overthink a lot. So I mean ultimately, I I, I do have that thing where I'll leave a party and there'll be one thing where I'll go, "Yep. Yeah, you really stuffed it up there, mate." Um <laughs> Me too, it's man. just just that one thing you say, you drop in. Um, I do think about when I was doing breakfast radio, just because of the sleep deprivation that was happening, probably the, the yeah. uglier side of me came out. I'd, I'd like to think not necessarily on air possibly um, or probably, hmm. but off air as well, because you're in meetings and you're, you, you, you're so short and impatient yeah, and yeah. you just want to get out. And sometimes the way that you might, say to a producer, you don't have the diplomacy to be like, I just can't do this right now. You just, It just would come out of me because I was just so tired. Yeah. And yeah. apologies to anyone who had to put up with that because it, it was almost, I mean, it definitely at times might have come out as malicious. I wasn't intended to malicious. I'm just at wit's end.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, man. I, I 100% agree. And it's it's like immediately afterwards you're going to go, what did I say that? Why did I react like that?
1: Oh, mate, I mean, I've realized I'm like a cat. I could sleep for eight, nine hours a night and mm. stand up is a good vocation for that. <laughs> but then, yeah. but breakfast radio is the antithesis of that. It is, you're running on fumes. It's very early in the morning. You're trying to go live a life as well so you can report back on air. And you just, I found myself dragging my feet around for four years just, and and I was really, like all respect to anyone who does it because it's, there is so much noise in that sphere, like, you know, the, actually in the actual uh, radio offices and things, like the music's blaring all the time. I found it hard to just grasp my own thoughts in the moment and just to, you know, you're a writer. Uh, you know, sometimes you need that point of reflection. There is no point of reflection. It is speed and hopefully accuracy in breakfast radio.
0: Yeah, yeah. Uh, how long did it take you to recover from it?
1: Some would argue, yeah. I'm still cooked, mate. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I was also smart enough, mate. I left after four years because I was a bit burnt out, and then I decided to have two kids. So then I was sleep deprived pro bono, which was really smart. <laughs> um, but it did take a while. I think I you, you, I came out like I'd just been in yeah you know, I I'd just been in a you know like a tumble drive for four years. I was just like oh, I don't know. I had to put myself back together a bit. Yay. And I actually only recently saw the Luke Longley documentary on Australian Story, and he seems like a really lovely guy. And he talked about being in the Chicago Bulls and being an NBA player, and he seems like a very sensitive guy. And he said, I almost had to deprogram myself to get back to the person that I really am because I had to put on this kind of armour to be a competitive beast and get yeah. through everything. And I did feel... I. Upon reflection, I'm like, yeah, I think I built a bit of that because you you have to get through it. It's, it's just such a um, – you're on the treadmill and you're going hard a lot and yeah. I, I just think I needed to deprogram myself from, from surviving that. I mean, that sounds dramatic, but it was just – I think it just – for a sensitive and creative brain, um,
0: it, it was a lot. The notion of breakfast radio host as celebrity is way more prevalent in Australia than it is in the US, and the reason for this is it's more expensive to buy a radio license in Australia thanks to our small FM band. And therefore, the breakfast show hosts must deliver, as it's their performance that dictates whether these very expensive stations rate or not.
1: When we'd have Americans on the show, because they seem to be dime a dozen radio shows, they're in every city and town in America, and a license for a radio show there is very cheap, so they've just got thousands upon thousands of them. But for us, a radio license is very expensive, so each capital city's only got a handful of shows. And you're right, they're very big. But then when American guests came on, they were always like, oh, I might as well be talking to someone in... But fuck Fort Wayne, yeah. But you're like, no, 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 no. People listen to this, like, in yeah.
0: Your- no really, yeah, yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. Today, <'Til> mate. <laughs> <laughs> that's uh that's a really good point. That the the licenses. I didn't think of that because it's such a kind of um, uh, a splintering of of the market in America.
1: Yeah, and I also think, and again, it's amazing the people that do do well in it because it is a beast that you have to take everything else on board because afterwards. And just think again. I, like I'm not digging trenches don't, for anyone listening. I understand what we're doing It's not. There's plenty of people who do it harder. But after three hours of radio, you invariably talk to the program director. So you're getting a, a work review every morning, right. every morning. And you're tired, and you're a bit spent. And they're like, "Well, guys, you could have done this better. We're doing this. What about? We're going to look forward to this. Have we got ideas for that? Have we got ideas for that?" And that happens pretty much every day. And you're, you are, and you're a creative person. You know, you are a bit more sensitive to things, I think, than the average. From what I've gathered, just from talking yeah. to mates, I think. Yeah, and especially me. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's shocking, isn't it? It's it's also being when you are creative. I think sensitivity comes with it, and I don't think we're mm. as much anymore. But when we were growing up, oh, actually, I can't speak for you. I can only speak for myself. You know, sensitivity wasn't something that people really no. in, liked in a man. So. No. It was always like, hide it, work it out, get angry instead, do something else <laughs> other than take, take this on board. And then, you know, so there's all that going through your system as well. Like, oh, don't show weakness. But then, and you know, you're in this radio show at times. Like, mate, I, I'm very easy to cry. I'm a person that, you know, I, I can cry pretty easily, I think. And I'd be so tired. And you're almost in a meeting and people are like, is he going to break down? What's wrong with this man? <laughs> You're like, I'm just so tired, guys. I just want to go home for
0: nappy poos. Yeah. And you're telling me I'm, I'm shit. You know, <laughs> I've just done some, some of my best work. And you're saying it could have been better. And the relentlessness of the feedback.
1: I know. And that's a muscle that I've been impressed with watching people through the years who can take that on board and they'll go, that's fine. And they'll be able to uh, decipher what's, yes, I'll take that on board. No, that's not worth it. And I'm always impressed with that because I'm like, "Well, you're being really objective about this." When I just find my emotive brain is like, "What?"
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, you just want to want to punch on. Um, <laughs> question three is: What is your greatest regret?
1: Oh, this is I think now going to get into the heavy. Uh, I feel like we'll be in a. I'm talking to my shrink. Um, All right, that's good. Yeah, <laughs> sit on the couch.
0: I've got. I should have made myself a cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> I,
1: um, mate, I my father passed away when I was nineteen, and so we never really got a uh, a kind of man to man conversation. I mean, that sounds a bit um, trite, but more like a, we never really got a conversation. It was always father to son, not a real, you know. Mm-hmm. We weren't sharing thoughts. He was more dictating thoughts. Me, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I don't blame him for that, but uh, you know, that was we never really got to that point, um, because I, I think just with the age that I was at, I can only imagine a teenage son, maybe you'd struggle to have a heart to heart sometimes with probably how obnoxious I was, but um, and my father grew up in a different era, you know, it was what did he do? My father was—he ran his own cleaning business, labour services, right. PTY mate. Um, in Geelong, yeah, of course. And uh, but he—he he was in a band. He um, was the front man in a band. So really, yeah, he's my, That's my. Where you got
0: your performance thing from?
1: Well, it's funny, mate. My grandfather—he was in uh, big bands, and he could write music, and oh, wow. he knew all that. And then James came over to England. From, I think a couple of failed business ventures and then took the 10 pounds, came across and my father was like 13, I think at the time. Then he got into bands, but from gathering from a talk to my mum, he, he felt a bit insecure because he couldn't read or write music, but could sing and he played bass and whatever. And then I'm a stand-up comedian. So it very much feels like the talent has been watered down significantly.
0: <laughs> Not. At all, mate, not at all. Wow. And so whereabouts in England were they from?
1: Uh, from the north, uh, west, from the northwest. Um, uh, he grew up in a place called Morecambe, which is in Leicestershire, something like that, um, around there. And, uh, yeah, I, th- I, think, um, I think the travel really affected my father. He was a very sensitive man, and uh, he, but growing up in post-war England, again i don't think that was encouraged i think um yeah and I, I i think also he didn't really encourage me in music because i think it had really beaten him down a bit and then so mm. for me to be in the performing arts it's funny i did pick up stand-up after he would passed away and i did joke with mum where i'm like i probably didn't need his critiquing <laughs> Throughout, it's probably a healthy thing that he wasn't around. to go, "What are you doing?" Uh, and I could it's live interesting, it. it? Interesting, and those early years, I could live in the ignorance of thinking I was doing all right. When looking back, I wasn't, but I just didn't know any better. So, um,
0: you're you're great. I mean, I, I don't know how, when I met you, but you're always on on the money. When I saw you, God, mid twenties. Would mean I, I you mean mid twenties? I
1: yeah. I first tried when I was twenty-one, I think. But then, and I backpacked yeah. and did a bit there on and off and then i came back and yeah it was mid-20s then when i gave it a shot
0: dave and i then got into a discussion about losing a parent at a young age and the idiosyncratic ways it can affect your life
1: i try to front foot on my health and stuff like that i know how the comics call me i've been on tour and they call me hollywood because i'd go for runs and do whatever but uh, who knows if i get you know my father's tricky heart so i try to stay on top of that and then um yeah Mate, theres um, I'm, sh- I'm very sure any psych who's listening to this knows that there's a maelstrom of stuff that's happened probably and the reasons why I do what I do because of that. But, mm. you know, these things happen. But, yeah, um, mate.
0: Yeah, no, that's uh, That's full on when you're a teenager, you know. Um, mm. I was 29 when my mum passed away and people said that was too young. So, you know, I guess it's relative. Question four is what do you still need to do to feel you've lived a satisfactory life? Mate,
1: probably because... At least I'm in Melbourne, so I've been through some fairly hefty lockdowns at this yeah. point in time. At least I've got to hang out with my two girls a whole lot more. And it's made me just realize I mean, I love being a dad. Like, I love those two little kids. And then I just want to try and do the best I can by those girls. Yeah. Because um, at the moment, they're at an age where, you know, they just love Nikki and I. We can almost do no wrong. And you're like, yeah, that's that's got a clock on it. There's going to be a time. And I would hazard a guess in their teens when they're like, they know nothing. And you're like, let's ride this out and really enjoy it. <laughs> and I think through the teen years will be when we're in the trenches. But, um, you know, have the and I think they're the <clears throat> real pivotal years. So I hope that I can, you know, uh, I can do a good job during those years. It must be so hard on a parent when you've got a teenager probably saying that they hate you. And you've got to steer the course and be mature yeah, oh, yeah. <laughs> and not and pull out those platitudes that I know my dad did, but now I completely understand why he did it. Like I paid for this house.
0: <laughs> I, I deserve respect. <laughs> I got that too. But then I went off to boarding school. Um, did you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. What's that like for,
1: oh. for a creative guy like you? Was, was boarding school a good time or yeah, was it? By I my
0: was... book, uh, out in December one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Yeah. 12 summers it's called uh yeah it's it, it was it was tough mate but it was tough on everyone at that boarding school late 80s brisbane um it was of a different era you know we talk about yeah. uh, bill burr's got a great bit just what you were saying before about the um internal criticism uh and, and the external criticism you know that we face when when you know during our time i mean i i'm older than you but I think you still just probably caught the last wave of, of of it where you know that kind of toxic masculinity where you you had to be a certain way and you, people were highly critical of you and then in turn you're highly critical of yourself i found that really interesting when you said that because it's like you know we are very critical of ourselves, and you—you know—you don't go for a job when you—you you, you fat fuck. You're gonna—you're <laughs> gonna—you're gonna have a heart attack like your dad. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've got that in my head all the time. And 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 the 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 male way of crying is just being angry. You know. Well,
1: I I see that a lot. Where for better or worse, my father has become a probably a case study. I focus on maybe an unhealthy amount, but then I think because my eldest daughter is a lot like me and sometimes Nikki goes, where did that come from? like, oh, I know, I know.
0: (laughs) Never you mind. (laughs) Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. And I think because my, and I see that my father was a sensitive person who then you're right. It turned not to anger. I'm I'm painting a picture like he was an angry man all the time. He wasn't. It's just that there was no avenue to really be that sensitive person. And then it can quickly turn to just, you know, those kind of darker things, being a bit cynical about things, being a bit offhand about things and, oh, why would you try that? I don't want to do that. And you've got to catch yourself and go. And I think since becoming a father, I'm like, yeah, the noise does get to you a bit, just of family life and and the pressures and whatever. But it can turn really quickly to that. Oh, we'll be right. Don't talk about it. I'm, you know, stiff upper lip. I mean, there's a level of that. You sometimes just got to get through stuff, but then you don't want it to turn to, I don't want to talk about it, I don't want to be here, Um, you know, I'll I'll knock off two bottles of red wine and then I can (laughs) blubber to one of my mates, you know, like it has to come out in a healthy way.
0: Well, look, I mean, it was also a bit of research you could do on, you know, of having family from the north of England, the personality traits that come through for centuries, you know, and that you would have it and your daughters would have it.
1: Oh, mate, mum and I just had a good conversation only recently. Um, I think it came back because of father's dad, we started talking about dad and She was like the amount of insecurities and things that he just didn't speak to his father about, you know, my, my father in England, they do that at the start of high school, they did where you took a test and they would kind of see where you sat, Mm -hmm. which can't be healthy for a child to be like, oh, you're a dunce. Right. So for the rest of your life, just know that you're a dunce. And there was no opportunity to obviously break out of that system. And then they very quickly went to Australia for obviously reasons that were completely different, but dad always thought it was because he failed the test. He wasn't good for the family. They left in shame. And I said, mum, did he think that to the day he died? She goes, I think so. God. Because they never spoke about it. They just never spoke about those things. Oh, my God. It's heartbreaking, isn't it? It was definitely not true. Yeah, it's definitely not true. And you just think, God, these are those things that, and I mean, do you feel, you know, because there's not, I don't think that much of an age difference between us, but, you know, those I agree with what you always talk about. Things you always do that, but it can feel so unnatural when you're trying to train yourself out of. But I never grew up with that. Yeah. Now I've got, and I've noticed my mates have gotten better at talking about things like that. However, you can see how unnatural it is, unfortunately, for men of our age.
0: Yeah, the, the rigidity of the mind is is interesting, and also the notion it's that kind of that Mark Marin thing where he goes, "I'm, I'm, eighty five percent woke. That's as good <laughs> as it's going to get." Yeah. <laughs> That's that.
1: i've never heard that and that is so true there's always i i have those internal struggles where you're like we'll be talking about something and my brain will just go fucking shut up like it, yeah. like it can't handle how how much we've gone down this new in my mind new wave path of talking about yeah. our
0: feelings just shut up I can't reconstruct a hundred percent. Like you know, I, if I'm speaking to guys in that still in their thirties, they are they they clean skins. Yep. It's like I, you know, I'm part of the last generation that saw the other side. You know of of what it was like to be a man.
1: Yeah, you, you're so right. Eighty five percent's about right. It gets that point. You're at. no no more feelings. No more feelings. No, get weird. No, get
0: weird. I don't want any more information. <laughs> I, I can't handle it. I can't handle any more identity politics. I, 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 I've, reached my, I've reached my limit. What everyone else finds so easy, I am finding hard. Yeah, and I'm, and gonna, I'm gonna lash just, out and say something that
1: no, like okay. I'm gonna use phrases that no one's used for a while, and it's it's not healthy. <laughs> it's
0: not healthy. I'm probably I'm probably about to be cancelled. It's probably about to be over. <laughs> So, yeah, I, I'm going through a process. Uh, who is the, uh, the question five is, who is the person who most influenced you and how?
1: It would probably be my mum, to be honest. Um, I mean, my mum and I have always been very close. And then when dad did pass away, God, I can't believe this is a dead dad podcast. But um, oh, it, okay. yeah.
0: I love dad stuff. Don't worry about it.
1: Oh, great. Right. Um, I feel like a lot of comedians, their careers are built on some fractured relationship with a parent, but oh, um yeah. my mum really just, she just showed the conviction that she really has, you know, when he passed away, she sat like the, you know, the morning and she sat my brother and I down and explained to my father, cared about us and loved us. And, you know, this normal is going to be now a different normal for the rest of our lives, but we'll do it together. And she just also the, years afterwards like you know the next five years when things were still raw she was just this shining light of i gotta get on with things you know i I still talk about it now and she said yeah things were difficult you know but she she didn't fall in a heap i've because my father was in bands the males in our family friend network have not aged well because they just didn't treat their bodies well Mm -hmm. and and then and it was that old cliche that the wife did look after the family and was doing a lot more of the stuff around the house and I've, I saw similar situations with family friends when the male passed away, the father. A lot of the mothers kind of went in themselves, went into themselves. You know, they, yeah. they were kind of at home or they didn't attend functions as much. They felt a bit listless and were like, oh, I don't know, which I guess would happen if a partner passes away. But of course, mum just front footed it. She's like, no. Nah. I'm going to go to these things. I'm going to get out there and do stuff. If I don't say yes to the invitations, they'll stop inviting me. So I'm going to get out. I'm going to do it. And she's just kept that going for the rest of her life. And I'm always like, cause it's a great That's point great. of reflection. Like if she can do that at that age, when you can easily just throw, you know, the toys out of the cot and say, this is too hard. She just kept going. And I was always like, well, she can do it. I'm only 21, 22, 23, whatever I can do it. And she just always pushed me to be like, if that's what you want to do, let's do it. And she was the huge encouraging force that got me into stand up because she's like, if you want to do it, then do it. That's fantastic.
0: Can I ask, sorry to, to to ask about this. So, so when she sat you down on the bed, had your dad died suddenly or did you have the heart attack and then died a few days later? He had
1: a stroke about six months beforehand and, Uh uh, and he was—he was he not easy to live with after the stroke. He was very he was, he was irritable, which I completely understand. It affected his speech and things like that. And for for a guy who was in bands and very uh, gregarious and you know life of the party kind of guy, it was really frustrating for him. But then it was a—it was a Saturday morning, and then he, um, yeah, he had a heart attack in bed, and uh, oh and then so you know that really fucked the weekend up. I'm not going to lie.
0: No, I, but but yeah, and your mum had the presence of mind to just sit you guys down you and your brother was it your sister
1: no my brother he's a couple your years brother. older than me and she sat us down and you know explained what, kind of where life was at and it was a real honestly it was like a movie it was like a scene out of a movie she just took us sat us down and said right this is what it is and your father loves you he always did he always will and then you know she's she was just like <laughs> she's, the, she's the hero that you needed at that point in time
0: what a remarkable woman uh I guess it's because you know, thematically we're going into the next question, which is when was the last time you cried and why? Jeez.
1: Um hearing all my stories now, I was like, Oh god.
0: Whether <laughs> I remember we- that stand-up show where you cried at the end too. You know, you every night on stage.
1: Yeah, that was a that was a lot. It was talking about my dad, and it really there was a it was a very quiet moment. It was a strange thing because I'd finished that show on that note of saying I miss my dad, and some nights it would really hit me. And you know as a stage performer. Mm. It's very Odd to talk about something so personal. Some nights it just wouldn't hit you um, and I'd feel so bad walking home because I'm like, have I just, am I just trying to flaunt my father's death for entertainment? It was a, it was a very strange thing. Was strange stuff that was happening inside her head that time. Of course. Um, mate, on a lighter note, I think the last time I, I didn't cry, but, I mean, it brought tears to my eyes where, again, my eldest, Frida, she's a very sensitive little girl. She's great. And she gets, when she flips her lid when things are going a bit too hard. Like she will, she's lost it, and that's one of the ones where Nikki, my partner, is like, "What, is, what, what happened there?" And I'm like, oh, "I know exactly what happened there." I'm, I'm like, "There's a ticking time bomb. We've just hit midnight, and we are gone." And. And I tried to then make things fun rather than try and say, oh, snap out of it, or what are you doing, or whatever. I try to bring some levity and distract her and do something silly and then try to get her out of it. And she, uh, it's funny talking about it now, where she just said, Daddy, at one stage, oh, Daddy, when I get sad, you always try to make me happy, and I love you for that. And it just, oh, my. when she said it to me, I was like, oh, it, that's exactly what i want for her and yeah it's funny talking about it now it's exactly hit me
0: <laughs> it's what your mum did to you in a way too you know you're just kind of reaching down and pulling you up
1: yeah and i think i wanted to teach her which is what i'm constantly trying to teach myself which is when i am in a situation just bring levity to that situation just go okay what is it that's holding you at the, this point What was frustrating you it doesn't control you so what let's try and shake this off. Let's mm. take a breath and try and get out of it and trying to teach that to her, but just for her to have the wherewithal to see, I guess that's what I'm doing. And it was just a lovely thing to say. And I was, I gave her a hug, that classic guy thing. We were like,
0: oh, she probably shouldn't see me face. It's a hug,
1: and, uh, and it was just a really lovely thing. How old is she? It's almost five. It's almost five. Isn't Fredda. it
0: funny? The, the emotional maturity of a woman. Oh, uh, being able to see that, see what you're doing. acknowledge it and then tell you mate
1: oh we i mean when we we weren't in lockdown then and we're playing the neighbors got um, some sons and uh, they were all playing together and this is a proof i know we live in a world where i get it identity and gender and things is fluid however when you see young girls and young boys (laughs) and we had some books out for the kids the girls were sitting there just Thumbing the pages of the book, flicking through, looking at the pictures. The boys, because they were hard covers, were throwing them in the air and headbutting them. <laughs>
0: <laughs> like,
1: yeah, girls are a hell of a lot smarter.
0: Oh, mate, you know, you know, you're you're uh, an Agony Uncle's alum alumnus. Yeah, uh, alumnus. And um, like, guys were hilarious. You know, the Agony Uncles were hilarious. But the the, the first season was all about love, um, and relationships you know, the guys were, were C graders as far as that's <laughs> concerned. Yeah. And, and the women were MBA. It was just, fucking. <laughs> it was like, we, we don't know what we're doing. It was such an insight to me at that, at that time, you know, to kind of just look at it in, in real time, just look at the responses and you go, Oh, I'm asking the same questions. Agony Aunts is a completely different show to Agony Uncles.
1: I sometimes think about uh, maybe that's why I was close to my mum as well because you think emotionally, I guess there was it's a straight line in a sense. You're getting a bit like, yeah, that seems reasonable. And then, yeah, I grew up with men who were like, I can't unpick this. Emotionally, this is fraught with danger.
0: Yeah. <laughs> <That's> just... <laughs> um, what is your current state of mind?
1: I mean, geez, what... Well, uh... I only cried about three minutes ago, so it's probably tenuous, mate. Um, you know, the lockdowns have thrown us all around here in Melbourne and I, I think I'm doing relatively okay. I am. I'm, I, I think I've found the right space because I'm not watching the news a lot and I've kind of distanced myself from all of that. And so it's helped a lot. But I'll still be surprised that you go, oh, yeah, it's this is a lot. And so, uh, I, I, but I think overall I'm, I'm pretty good. I I think I am. I think I found a pretty sweet pocket at the moment to survive this.
0: What's happening stand-up wise with you? Because when I was in Melbourne last, uh, a couple of comedians were saying, oh, yeah, Thorno's in really good form at the moment. You Oh, that's nice. Great stuff. Yeah, yeah. So so you've got all that stuff there. So- have you found an outlet? Do you do Zoom gigs? Do, you know. oh, mate, Zoom what?
1: gigs are hilarious.
0: <laughs> <laughs> had, we are doing Zoom gigs
1: and I'll do them uh, because a the mortgage has got to get paid. And I don't mind them. I mean, uh, we're good friends with Dave O'Neill. He's the king of them. He's great. Yeah, yeah. And, man, I did one because uh, most people will be on Zoom right now that are probably listening to this. And obviously, Zoom sucks, but it does, especially for a comedian because- Everyone has to be on silence because if everyone makes noise at one time, Zoom can't handle it. I know. And so you need them. everyone on silent, but at least you can see their faces. So you try to work off that. And most people are actually quite nice. You'd think they'd be terrible, but most people are quite nice because they're appreciating that, you know, you're putting in the effort or whatever. But I had one for a business, they said, and they always do this now with Zoom gigs. Mate, we're all really down. We need a laugh. We need to like we do when when this needs to happen. I'm like, I'm not a health practitioner. I will not save your entire office with some dick jokes. I don't think it's going to happen. But thank you for the gig. So I get there. It's a lunchtime thing, and I usually get someone to introduce me at least, give it some context for people who are watching. I get I get on this thing, and it's on a different platform, Microsoft Teams, and it's just me and this other guy. And I say, oh, "Good night, mate. Here you go." He goes, "Yeah, I'm going to introduce you." So oh, right, you know, I'm Dave. He goes, "Yeah." I said, are you sticking around or, you know, how's the business going? I "I don't know. I'm the IT guy. I don't know. Um, Mate, I've just got this blurb. I said, okay. And then what happens? He goes, then I get off and it'll be you. And I said, do I see anyone? He goes, nah. So said, how many people are on? He goes, don't know. I said, okay. And then he just goes, you know, blah, blah, blah from this paragraph that has been written for him that's off Wikipedia. Here he is, bang. And it's me talking to my own face for 20 minutes. And then I just get off and go, I don't know what happened. How's it gotten to this? What's going on? I just had to walk. I was walking around the block. So finally when I did go outside, I was doing like, it was. must have been like a Mr Bean walk. Like I was physically shaking it off. I was like, ah, what just happened? How did it get to this?
0: <laughs> Mate, that is, I, I yeah, I, 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 I can't fathom how difficult that would have been.
1: And don't get me wrong, they're corporate gigs and they're in, in real life. They're horrendous usually. yeah. <laughs> I've, I've died in my hole and then been ushered out. Like, I do remember the organizer just putting a hand in the small of my back, going, your car's waiting, car's oh waiting, car's God. waiting, and just ushering me out of the function room. I, Thanks, mate.
0: It's so difficult. It, I can't imagine yeah. how difficult it would be. I mean, because you've got a whole lot of drunk accountants or real estate agents or whatever, you know, they just want to hang out and drink, and you've just been forced into the situation.
1: Yeah. You, I always say with, with normal stand-up, people come to a club and go, right, you know, I've, I've come to see you, or oh, come to see some acts i mean, let's go. Mm-hmm. I'm in, I'm in stand up mode. You are inflicted upon them at a corporate. Yeah. Yeah. They're like, so, so why are you here? You're like, oh, cause I'm getting paid, mate. I, I don't know. Maybe to soften the blow of the cutbacks that are coming for the next <laughs> quarter. I don't know.
0: It's almost like you just want to go into the crowd and just interview them. And then they can hear the sound of their own voices.
1: Well, there is that as well. I understand. I understand when you're three sheets of the wind. Mm. Why do you want to hear someone talk? You want to hear yourself talk?
0: <laughs> That's. But you know what, the the, lonely, the loneliest kind of time for me was going and doing a radio interview. And then, like you talked about, you know, you've gone to a party and you said something stupid. Obviously on radio, I'm definitely going to say something stupid. And then I, I leave <laughs> and I just, and there's nothing, no text messages, nothing, get in the car, drive home.
1: Mate, I remember the first time I ever did TV, I did it on Rove. And that was when Rove was on Sundays and... You know, I'm there, I'm, I'm bright-eyed. I'm like, oh, my God, I'm going to be on TV. Um, you know, Rove's there, Hughesy's there. Uh, I think Hamish and Andy were there as well. That's when they were doing a little segment on the show. And you're just like, it's TV. Like, how good is this? And the gig went okay, I think. And then you finish. And, of course, it's Sunday night, which I now know after working in TV and, and radio that you do, yeah, I just want to go home now, I've finished my work. But I was like, we're in the green room. Like, what are we, where are we going? What are we doing? <laughs> and everyone just goes, good job. And clears off, and you're just left standing there, going, "This is showbiz." Oh, like, wow. I'm just sitting at a you know small bar fridge with some free Sam sand, Samboy chips. <laughs> just that's it. That's that's showbiz. And you're right; you're just left with your own thoughts, and like yeah. you're waiting for this cascade of texts to come through. But your mates like, hey, "Aim, right. yeah."
0: yeah. <laughs> like, um, I mean, when you're first on television, or maybe it was that when everyone watched the same channels? You got text messages, and then now, never, which is fine. I mean, why should we? You know. Why should we be applauded for going to work?
1: Yeah, I uh, mate. I mean, you've probably been on the promo trail before too, oh, yeah. which is so strange. You've been a morning and uh, you are just, just gone through one radio station to the yeah. next, to the next, to the yeah. next. I think at one stage I did. For the ill-fated this week live, which only went on yeah, for, I don't know, eight episodes or something or whatever it was. But that first one, yeah, you know, this is the morning of about to do a live show. You're like, okay, I've got a lot of juice. I've got a lot of angst. I've got a lot of nerves. And you're doing a dozen radio shows and just one after the next and just your head's spinning. And like you were saying, you just get off the, that one and go, that was shit. You go to the next one and think, I don't know if I did any better.
0: <laughs> I'll try. I won't say that again. And then you do. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, what do you consider your greatest achievement, Thought I.
1: <laughs> Um, I mean, it's probably cliched, mate, but probably my kids. Which, mm. When you think you're made... Uh- <laughs> I, I probably didn't. I don't know if I put my best foot forward when I did make them. I don't know, but <laughs> you were making a mate. Yeah, but um I do think. I mean, it is cliched, but you do look at those kids, and I don't know what happens inside your brain. It's very odd. But uh, I heard Barack Obama explain it as with a child. It's like your heart is on the outside of your chest, and it's like you, you kind of you want to look after it you, it. you you feel a bit helpless at times, but um. Yeah, I do think, I do think that's probably the better things that I've done. Uh, thanks, in large part to their mother, and uh, yeah, I, I hope I can continue that.
0: Um, and this is one of my favorite questions: Who would you want on your side in a battle, and why? You know,
1: Tommy Little. Ah, Tommy Little. I've known him forever. We've been really good mates since we did community television together, and. I mean, comedians, it's usually, I can understand for the outside world, comedians, you always think, oh yeah, they're just professional idiots, which we are, but I've never seen a man work so hard, be so dogged and have uh, so dedicated to what he does. And then never talks about that, never you know, expects anything from it. If there's a problem, he's very pragmatic. He's like, right, well, what do we need to fix? What do we need to do? Because I think I'm more of a shit talker when he's an actual doer and- I think I like hanging out with doers because they remind me to do rather than to <laughs> sit around. And I think we have asked to be in a profession where there's a lot of knockbacks, there's a lot of criticism, and it is very difficult to make something work, um, you know, and to stand out from the pack. And I've just seen he's had as many setbacks as anyone else, but he just gets on with it. He's just like, "Yep, okay, that happened. How do we fix it? What do we do?" When I probably have a propensity to be wallowing in that problem mm, and problem. Oh, yeah, for sure. But he just, and he also isn't one to be like, he doesn't give the rah-rah speech. He just gets on with it. He's just like, right, let's go. Let's get on with it. And he's a really refreshing guy to be around where it's almost like, yeah, but there's this happening and then we got this happening and we'll do this. And yeah, I've I've really been impressed because I've known him since he was like 23, 24. And I've just seen him with Mm -hmm. that spirit, just push on to the next thing and to the next thing. And okay, a really good example is, he did a marathon in Antarctica. And I was like, well, A, why? But then B, I said, how was it? And he goes, I'm oh, a calf gave up, probably about halfway in. But you know, you gotta finish it.
0: I was <laughs> like, do you? Oh my God.
1: And that's he's just got conviction. And I would look, I would be the dead weight to him, but <laughs> if, if if there was a problem like the apocalypse hit, <laughs> I'd wanna be behind him when he's tackling all the issues
0: that's great that's great i I really like hearing about that about tommy um and the final question is what would you like your last words to be
1: i'm a stand-up comedian mate so i guess the last words is that my time
0: is the light flashing
1: (laughs) is that the light (laughs) only comedians would see the tunnel of light and go is that is that me up am i done here is that surely not (laughs)
0: Thank you so much for tuning in to 10 Questions. We'd also like to thank all the guests that appear on the show. And if you have a minute, please subscribe our iTunes or your podcast app. And leave us a rating. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach me on Twitter at AdamZoir. So until next time, thanks for joining us.